Hello and welcome to Same Boat Huddle. I am your host, Erin Miller of Erin Joyce Photography. You are listening to episode 14 and this one is so, so special. I am interviewing a beautiful, beautiful soul, Amy Hart. She shares a very sad and vulnerable story of her experience in uh, miscarriage and dealing with uh, having a premature baby and having postpartum depression and anxiety. And I feel like this is such a poignant conversation to have. I know that we are in October and this is Pregnancy and Infancy Loss Awareness Month. Uh, Very ironically, I reached out to her not even considering that uh, it is a month for that. And Amy has been very, uh, she has a beautiful blog that uh, I will share in the show notes so you can go over there and click on it where she has shared her journey in miscarriage and conceiving her third daughter, I'm sorry, third child, second daughter, and um, her her process in um, delivering early and why she had to and all of that. So while um, I knew and a lot of her uh, her network knew of her struggles and her story, um, she recently chose to share that she um, very seriously struggled with postpartum depression. And I think it was a surprise to uh, many of us who know her. I know her personally, but also know her well through social media, as that's how a lot of us stay connected um, when we can't see each other in person. So I was really surprised to hear it. And I was um, reached out to her to just thank her for putting herself out there because there are so many of us who are afraid to have the conversation or we're not ready yet or don't even realize we need to have that conversation. So uh, she was so, so gracious in uh, accepting a conversation with me. Thank you, Amy. So we sit down and have a a long conversation. So while uh, I know that we really dig deep into all of it, I felt that it was so necessary to hear all of the pieces of her story because they are also uh, crucial in her journey and ultimately her recovery. So uh, as always, for those of you who may not be dealing with um, any losses or postpartum depression or anxiety, I think that it is so valuable to hear another woman's struggle so that you can be there to support those around you. Uh, Because while we don't get into a a thick conversation about it, she and I both... um, had a tough time feeling unsupported by those closest to us. And I don't know if it's, um, you know, it wasn't by any fault, but I think just because of us not, um, outwardly asking for help. And ultimately I think most people don't know what signs to look for to see that there might be something wrong. So I hope that this is a beneficial conversation for anybody listening. Um, those of you who are going through something like this, please know that you're not alone And uh, I hope that you can feel that through our conversation. Uh, Again, Amy, thank you so much and enjoy taking a listen. Hi, Amy. Thank you so much for talking with me today. Hi, Erin. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk with you. And I, um, you know, as we were talking about the the reason that I want to have a conversation with you um, was really prompted. I think you're always someone in the back of my head that I wanted to speak with. I like make a list in my notebook. I'm like, Ooh, there's just all the ladies, especially just in our area. 
But what really prompted me to reach out to you um, last week was your recent Instagram post. And um, your post was about dealing with postpartum depression, anxiety. And I know everyone who knows you on social media knows that you've recently been through quite a journey with miscarriages and having a preemie baby that you've been. So like, I think for me, hearing that you've dealt with postpartum depression and anxiety, I was like, wow, I don't know if I expected that, but of course that makes sense. You know what I mean? And it was just so um, poignant and amazing to hear you put yourself out so vulnerably, vulnerably, because I know that many women reached out to you after that post and saying like, me too, me too. And I was like, we need to have a conversation about this because not everyone, like you and I have experienced and have talked about that not everyone is ready to share their story and maybe never will be, but then that's, it's those of us who are ready to share it, we need to share it and be the voice for other women. And um, gosh, I feel like that's just so powerful. So as we've talked about what we're, we've been through, I've been through postpartum stuff, I have um, we all have a different story, but I think what is so powerful about yours is truly like the, the, the before the postpartum, basically like the snowball that's happened to cause the postpartum depression and anxiety. So that's what I really want to talk with you about today. And I think what's so amazing, I feel like it's one of those synchronicities is that October, um, isn't that miscarriage? awareness month or something yeah, like that yeah. pregnancy and infant loss yes awareness month. Yeah. yeah so I'm like yeah we have to talk about this it's like perfect timing not on purpose you know so we're sitting here talking on October 2nd this will be shared with the world um I, just got a little, I know it's just amazing so I would love um for us to have a very candid organic conversation to see where this goes and what um, feels most important to really talk about. But let's start at the beginning, um, which is when we met and I did a photo shoot for you and we shared that you were pregnant and it was going to be a pregnancy announcement. So why don't we, and I know that, well, I think you had a story before that too. Yes. You? Yeah. So why don't you start? Like, where did this all start? Yeah, so um, about, gosh, I ha I'm losing track of the time, but it was around 2015. Um, Sean and I, my husband Sean and I, decided that we wanted to try for baby number three. And I had expressed this to a few friends, and they were kind of like, you're crazy, you know? You, you have the perfect number right now. You have a king's family, you know, boy first, then girl. Mm -hmm. And you're not outnumbered you know, all the things that typical, you know, typical responses that you get when you're talking about ha having more children, right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, <laughs> we decided, you know what, this is what's for us. So um, got pregnant. And I just want to preface this by saying that my two um, pregnancies with Mason, my oldest and Emery, my second, my middle child, they were completely normal pregnancies. And I had no trouble getting pregnant. Mm -hmm. full-term babies. So got pregnant, got a positive pregnancy test. And what ended up happening was I had what they call a chemical pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So um, got the positive, but my period started probably uh, about six weeks um, was when yeah. that happened. 
Yeah. I was at work and I went to the, to the ladies room and I was bleeding and um, nothing can prepare you for that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember just, I told someone quickly, one of my coworkers that I needed to go, that I was pregnant. They had no idea. Here's what's happening. And I went, you know, straight to my car, called my husband, told him what was happening and somehow got myself to back to Lehigh Valley, which by the way, I have a 80 mile commute each way to work. Mm -hmm. So I'm in the car when I am working in the office three hours a day. So during that drive home, I was crying, processing, you know, all that stuff. Um, So I went to get blood work done and that's where they verified that this, you know, this was a miscarriage. And so I think that was the beginning stages of just, you know, I'm very uh, type A. Mm -hmm. I'm a planner to a fault. And gosh, this was not working out in my favor. And Mm -hmm. I just lost the baby. Mm -hmm. And I think what was also hard about it was not everyone feels that a chemical pregnancy is a legitimate pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And that's really hard for me to hear from Mm -hmm. you know, people close to me. Yeah. Um, Can I interject there for a second? Because that, so I had an experience and we were trying to get pregnant with my daughter, um, who's our first child. I got a positive, a faint positive pregnancy test the month before I was pregnant with my daughter and um, was technically late and then had my period. Um, and it was one day and heavy and clotted and like my body knew. So I'm this new woman who's trying to get pregnant and doesn't know much about what that is. And I remember I laid in my bed sobbing, like from the core of my soul (laughs) and I didn't understand why. And I remember my husband was like, it's just your period. We will get pregnant. I'm like, this isn't, I can feel that it's not like we just lost the baby. And what's amazing. So I've never really dealt with that because I didn't understand what it was. And like you're saying, I feel like people don't consider chemical pregnancies as a loss. So just like a few months ago, I went to my first Reiki session. So if anyone doesn't know what Reiki is, it's just energy healing. And, um, (laughs) You'd never expect to be so emotional, but it is. <laughs> she she did her, the whole session. She sat down and she's like, is there any possibility that you're pregnant? And I was like, there shouldn't be, but always there could be the possibility. And she's like, you're carrying a loss. And I cleared it for you, but there's a loss that you had. And hopefully you're not having right now, which I wasn't. And it was the pregnancy that I lost before my daughter. So I'm just putting that out there because I think that it, like you're saying, I don't think people acknowledge a chemical pregnancy as a true loss and it is, and it's hard and it's devastating. Um, so yeah, yes. thank you for sharing that with me. Um, yeah. <clears throat> hard too, because as a woman, you know, you're feeling all these feelings and you know, you're not walking through it alone necessarily because you have your husband, but there's only so much that they can understand. Right. right? So it is a very lonely thing to experience. Mm -hmm. So if we fast forward um, now to 2016, um, 
I had just come back from a personal development conference, which is very important, you know, to me in my life. I'm always craving more personal development. And I went there with the mindset, actually, oddly enough, um, to reignite my love affair with photography. Mm-hmm. Right. Because mm-hmm. I had closed up shop, I was done, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I, mm-hmm. I missed it so. And I was pregnant. And I was very, very sick. I was actually on um, anti-nausea medication. And so I flew myself down to Chapel Hill, North Carolina, did this two-day conference. And during that time, I thought I was going for the photography part, but it ended Mm -hmm. up being more about my life. Mm-hmm. what I wanted my life to look like, what legacy I wanted to leave behind for my children mm-hmm. you know, without giving too much away. It was a lot of deep soul searching, pulling mm-hmm. everything out and then figuring out what do I want? And that baby that I was carrying ha- played a big role in, you know, things that I uncovered about myself that during those two days. Mm-hmm. So I ended up coming home uh, we did our photo shoot mm-hmm. and I was so excited. I ordered, you know, a big brother and a big sister book for Mason and Emery. And this was how we were going to announce. Mm-hmm. Um, and you took amazing, beautiful pictures. I remember it was at dusk right before mm-hmm. the sunset mm-hmm. and it was this time of year. Mm-hmm. It was definitely October. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> Then, then what ended up happening was, if we fast forward now to the day before election day, I had been in close contact with my doctor because I had had the chemical pregnancy. So they mm-hmm. wanted to get me in for an ultrasound at six weeks, right? So they got me in um, probably around the six or seven week mark. And the ultrasound tech that I dealt with, Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, I'm already like on edge because mm-hmm. I have experienced this loss, right? The ultrasound tech was very like, she treated me like a number. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a person. I came in and very matter of fact, she kind of said, oh, you know, the baby's measuring about two weeks behind, you know, um, when did you conceive? When was the, you know, first day of your last cycle? All these questions. And Sean was with me. And she walked out of the room and she's like, let me go get the doctor. And I just started crying. And as soon as the doctor came in, I was like, you know, this is not okay. You know, she's making me feel like something is wrong. And I think this is very common. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think um, that happens a lot because um, they're dealing with this day in and day out. And so to find somebody who has that bedside manner, you know, you kind of have to shift through the weeds and, and really look for those people. And so mm-hmm. needless to say, I did not end up seeing her again for mm-hmm. any other, you know, ultrasounds I had. Right. But the doctor came in and, and explained to me what was happening. And he wanted me to come back in two weeks to see if there was any growth. Mm-hmm. And prepared me and said, you know, if there's no growth, this could possibly not be a viable pregnancy. So for two weeks, I had yeah. to live with that you know, and I just had a little bit of hope, you know, to go off of. And so I ended up going back, but this time I was by myself. Mm. So I was by myself, different ultrasound tech went in, Sean was at work. It was, it was actually election day. Now that I think about it, it was election day. And 
the ultrasound tech was taking a little while to get back to me to tell Mm -hmm. me, you know, what was, you know, what she was seeing. And um, she basically said, um, I'm so sorry, Amy, but I can't find a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. And I remember the room started spinning. And um, before I knew it, I was in another room and the doctor came in and I'm hysterical and it was a male and he handed me a tissue and he's like, is there anyone that can come be with you right now? And I said, no, no, there's no one around. You know, my husband is at work and he's over an hour away. And um, he basically explained to me, you know, what the next steps were. And I was just in shock because as I had mentioned, I was very sick that that pregnancy. So I was nauseous constantly, even with the medication. And, you know, of course my boobs were killing me mm-hmm. and all the pregnancy mm-hmm. exploded. And here I am being told that my baby is gone. Um, so he basically said that they called this a missed abortion. Oh, is such a, um, I mean, I, I hate that terminology because it, it almost makes it seem like this is something that you caused. Right, you know? right, yeah. Um, so he walked out of the room. He had explained to me what I could do. I, I could miscarry or continue the miscarriage naturally, which for me, I knew that wasn't okay. Right. Um, I could have a procedure done to remove, you know, everything. Um and that was, those were my choices. So a nurse mm-hmm. came in and she walked me over to another room and I dealt with another medical professional and the whole time I'm hysterically crying. Right. Yeah. And now I walked in thinking I was going to get to hear the heartbeat. And now I'm walking out, scheduling an appointment to basically rid my body of mm-hmm. my baby. Mm-hmm. So she was able to get me in for the next day. Um, And I left that office and you know where I went? I went to vote. (laughs) I went to vote. (laughs) So I don't know why I did that. I went to vote. Um, It's like going through the motions, right? Because that's probably what you had planned to do. Yes, yes. Yeah. And I came home and you know what, now that I'm thinking about it and like things are getting a little bit more clear, um, I had, my aunt was at my house with my children because it was election day. So they, right, yeah. yeah. And I walked in and, you know, of course it was nice to have support there, but Sean came home as quick as he could. And, um, I was not able to eat until the procedure, which actually wasn't until the afternoon. So I couldn't take my medication that next morning. I was so nauseous. So it was the next day that the procedure was scheduled. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember just, I couldn't sleep. I stayed up watching the election until the very last moment. It was the middle of the night. And then, you know, had my last sips of, you know, apple juice or whatever it was by midnight. And I think I had a protein bar to try to help hold me over. So I woke up very nauseous, very emotional. And when the afternoon rolled around, Sean drove me to the, um, to get the procedure done. And as soon as we parked, I opened the door and I just 
vomited everywhere in the parking mm. lot because again, I, I mean, it might've been a combination of nerves, but also I still felt very pregnant. Yeah. It was yeah. like, I can't even explain how, how it, how it really felt. And so we walked in there. I don't think this here has stopped. As soon as they got me in the bed, the nurses were phenomenal. And there are some really, really good people in mm-hmm. the field. And these mm-hmm. were good people. And they made me as comfortable as they could, warm blankets. They got the IV started. They got um, Zofran in my system to cut down on the nausea and got me comfortable. And the next thing I remember is being in the operating room and, you know, the lights, it's very sterile, cold, people everywhere, the lights looking down at me. And I kind of, I didn't know what to expect. Right. And before I knew it, they were going to, you know, put the mask on me to put me under. And I looked up at the nurse and I don't know what possessed me to say this to her, but I just said, can you please say a prayer for me? she started praying over me and um then everything went black and when i woke up i was warm again surrounded by blankets and no longer pregnant and i remember when we left i just felt i felt so much better i wasn't nauseous and i just wanted to eat <laughs> <laughs> we went to McDonald's and showed the drive through and I got a Big Mac. <laughs> and that's what I ate. And it was the best Big Mac ever because oh. I you know. Yeah. It's good that I can laugh about it now. But yeah. so um I ended up sharing those pictures that you took, Erin, what the one in particular of um you know, Mason and Emery holding the books that announced that they were going to be a big brother and a big sister. And I, mm-hmm. and I talked about what happened. And um, that's basically when I opened up that dialogue for people to reach out to me. And a lot of them did privately and said, um, you know, me too. Or, mm-hmm. I've mm-hmm. gone through the same thing. I've never talked about it with anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to go back to your point about when people are not ready, that's when it all started for me. I realized Mm -hmm. that there were so many women out there who were sharing a similar storyline, although their pages might look different and um, they needed to know that they weren't alone. So that was a very humbling experience for me to open up and um, talk about and also to connect with other women. So that was 2016. And then if we fast forward a little bit, um, we tried again and I ended up getting pregnant with Jolie. Mm-hmm. And from the get-go, every time I went to an ultrasound, you know, I just was on edge because I didn't know what to expect. Um, so that pregnancy was complicated from the 12 week ultrasound where you know, initially that's where they kind of check things out and they look for um, specific key indicators of, you know, possible issues or chromosomal issues in the pregnancy. And I was actually at a high risk appointment because of my history, but also because um, I had mentioned something to my doctor um, when I went for my first initial appointment with this pregnancy 
when I had Mason and Emery, I was at a different practice in a different state. Mm-hmm. And I um, had gotten an IUD put in after I had Emery. Right. And I ended up having a lot of breakthrough bleeding with that. And I went for an ultrasound and they found that it dislodged and I had what they call a bicornate corneate uterus. So I have two cavities at the bottom. It's kind of like a heart shape. Mm-hmm. So I'm not a um, candidate for IUD, needless to say, but I mentioned this to the new doctor, the new practice, and they automatically, you know, indicate that as a high risk. So here I am mm-hmm. at the high risk appointment getting an ultrasound done. And they, um, you know, the tech comes comes in and does everything and then they go talk to the doctor and the doctor came in and basically said, we're seeing a little extra fluid behind the spinal cord, which can be in, indicative of, you know, Down syndrome, trisomy 18. So of course, I'm at a loss for words. Sean's with me because after what happened mm-hmm. last time, I just needed him to be there with me every step of the way. So they, they recommended that I do genetic counseling. So we walked into another room. I met with the counselor and we did uh, blood work and they were sending it to a specialized lab in San Diego and it was going to take 10 days to come mm. back. So here I was, you know, I left that appointment not knowing if there was going to be something wrong with my child. Mm-hmm. And so, I feel like, not to cut you off, but I feel like after having your previous two experiences, it's not like you can go into this one even keeled and then like with a full cup of energy of being able to emotionally handle what's going on. And I think that's, that's what we've discussed that I feel like postpartum, um, obviously there's a lot of hormonal pieces involved, but I feel like, especially with anxiety and depression, that there's like this, all of these layers so you've gone through so much already and now you're pregnant and hoping that this is a healthy full-term pregnancy, just like your other two babies. And here you are going through more and yeah. needing testing and blood work and all of that. So, yeah, it was, um, when I think back to how I felt during those 10 days of waiting, it was Again, just like the ultrasound with the two weeks that I had to wait, mm-hmm. it was the longest 10 days of my life. Yeah. So I got the phone call when I was at, at work. I was in the office that day. And the counselor called and said, you know, um, I have great news for you. The, the test came back. Everything's fine. And, you know, huge sigh of relief. And she was like, we also know the sex of the baby. Would you like to know? And I had never known that early, you know, I had always known halfway through my pregnancy. And I was like, yes, but I want my husband to hear at the same time. So he's actually on campus here with me. He works um, at the same campus. Mm -hmm. And she's like, no problem. Let's hang up. I'll call back and I'll leave a voicemail and you guys can listen to it together. So um, I quick called Sean. We met on campus and we met at a specific bench right, right outside of my building and it was April. So it was really nice weather, you know, spring was starting and every time I walk by that bench, I just, I picture us, you know, there listening to this voicemail. So it's become kind of like etched in my memory, but basically 
we played it on speaker and that's where she told us that we were having a girl. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, a huge sigh of relief. We were, um, we were happy. Yeah. We were happy. And so, um, I don't know if I mentioned this. I don't think I did, but with this pregnancy, I was also feeling all the nausea feelings very early on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Do we want to edit that out? <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Just I'm keep sure. going. Well, yeah. Yeah. So I was also on medication, you know, for those symptoms. Um, and I was just taking it a little bit differently this time, um, knowing that I was feeling extra nauseous. You know what they say? They say, you know, the sicker you are, the healthier the pregnancy. Yes, yeah. Hanging on to that. Give me all the sick feelings. Yeah. So um, I ended up going back, I think, once more before the 20-week ultrasound with Jolie. And everything was looking fine. The fluid resolved itself, you know, it could have been a, a measurement discrepancy. I, I have no idea. But when we got to the 20 week ultrasound, that was when the next, you know, um, issue kind of came into light. And Jolie was measuring a little bit behind for 20 weeks. So what was happening was her, I believe it was her femur bone should have been the same measurement as her arm, and it wasn't. And so they wanted to. S- they wanted me to start coming more frequently for growth scans. So not only was I meeting with my um, OB on a normal rotation, but I was also going, you know, like every three to four weeks to get a growth scan. So this is where all the appointments started. Mm -hmm. And that's also where a lot of the anxiety started to really come into play because I never knew what to expect. Mm -hmm. Every time I laid down on that table and the tech came in, the first thing I needed her to do for me was tell me that the baby was okay. Mm-hmm. Tell me there's a heartbeat. Like right. it's moving if I can't see it right away, right away. Um, and then it got to a point where I was um, on constant rotation and uh, every time a different doctor would come in. And when that happens, in my perspective, you're not getting the same consistency of care, right? right. Like yeah. A different bedside manner each time. It's, different genders are coming in, different schools of thought, right? And they're all going off of their notes from mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. So this one doctor in particular was very um, bland and matter of fact. And he basically said to me, you know, we need to keep an eye on things. You, you could possibly be having a baby who, um, I forget what the appropriate terminology is, but basically what he was saying to me was dwarfism. Mm-hmm that was not what I wanted to hear. You know, I just, I felt like he was making an assumption Mm -hmm. that also put me in a really bad place because no matter how this baby came out, I was going to love this baby. But Mm -hmm. I felt like there was a lot of unnecessary anxiety that was being thrown, you know, my way. Right. And so I requested not to see that doctor again, Mm -hmm. Um, just because he didn't mesh well with my personality. And I Mm -hmm. think, that is so important mm-hmm. to make sure you're advocating for yourself. You're not going to like every medical professional, yeah. you know, especially with a high risk pregnancy going to these constant appointments. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think that's amazing to set those boundaries and so mm-hmm. important yes. um, to protect yourself, you know? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So if we fast forward a little bit, um, it then got to the point where I was um, I was in the hospital a few times. I had some um, what felt like contractions. Mm-hmm. So I knew like something was going on and um, I went to like, to the emergency room, they put me upstairs, um, labor and delivery. And I was basically just monitored in the triage area, um, for preterm contractions. And so what they ended up telling me was go home, drink more water, you know, Mm -hmm. that's what I did. And then about 29 weeks, I woke up one morning, um, and went to the bathroom and I was bleeding. Mm. And oh gosh, at this point, your anxiety must have been through the roof. Mine would have been. Oh my I, goodness. I don't know where I went, but my thoughts went immediately to this. I lost this baby. Yeah. Um, I think I yelled for Sean and we ended up getting ourselves to the hospital. And, you know, I was quickly kind of treated and checked out and I wasn't dilated, which was great, but they did an ultrasound and what ended up happening was I had a tear in my placenta. Mm -hmm. It was about seven millimeters, but it was enough that it was causing me to bleed. Mm -hmm. And so what happened at that point was a doctor came in who I absolutely just fell in love with. Um, Very seasoned doctor, part of the same practice, the high risk practice that I was going to, but in um, the Bethlehem office. So a little bit further drive for me. And I explained to him how I just felt so connected to him. Mm -hmm. And he said, here's my card, you know, come see me. I will treat you for the rest of this pregnancy. Just, you know, if you're willing to make the drive, come and see me. Also, Mm -hmm. you're not commuting to work anymore. Mm. That was a big weight off of my shoulders. From that point on, I worked remotely from home and I just tried to take it easy. Um. So basically from this point, I actually also got steroid shots. I don't know if you're familiar. Yes, with those, yeah. But when I was in there, um, I was in the hospital for a few days, and they actually had a head NICU nurse come down and explain to me what to expect if I had a 29-weeker, mm-hmm. what the delivery would look like, um, what they would do with the baby, you know, all that stuff. And to prepare me in case my body went into labor, they decided to give me my first round of steroid shots. Right. That would essentially help the lungs capacity at that Mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. Um, So I got two rounds of the the shots and then I ended up going on my way home and um, I continued a relationship with that doctor for the rest of the pregnancy And so what I needed to look out for now was just any changes in my body. So I was trying to pay really close attention to to what my body was telling me. And I was going every two weeks now for a non-stress test and also Doppler studies to measure the umbilical flows and all the major organs of the baby. And what they decided was when it got to a point where they noticed that my placenta was not doing a good job of supporting Jolie um, and giving her the nutrients that she needed. They would deter, make the determination that she would be better outside of the womb. Um, mm-hmm. And as a person who's very type A, mm-hmm. that was really hard. 
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I wanted a date. Tell me what date this baby is coming. Yeah. I needed to prepare. And what I kept hearing from them was, we don't have a crystal ball. If we did, we would tell you that, but we can't. So we're just going to play it by ear. So I had to deal with all these hormones, these emotions, protecting myself, advocating for this baby, and managing my anxiety at the same time. And Mm -hmm. it was a lot. Mm -hmm. Also taking care of two children. Right. And by the way, my husband, I just have to say, he is amazing. Mm -hmm. Partners in this. 50-50, 50-50, and he took over um, a lot of the responsibilities during this time. Right. So I could focus on myself. So uh, one morning I was going to an appointment, and I had woken up that morning feeling a little bit off. I don't even know if woken up is a word. I woke up <laughs> <laughs> feeling a little off. And, you know, they tell you, when you have placenta issues to keep it, keep an eye out for uh, blood pressure issues. So, right. um, and what they're really saying is pre preeclampsia. And what they tell you to look for is um, lightheaded. You know, if you have a light head, if you're seeing spots, if you have a headache that's persistent and if you have swelling, I didn't have any of those things, but on this particular morning, I woke up feeling disconnected disconnected from my body you know Mm -hmm. kind of like my head was just like yeah so I drove myself to the appointment again this is a little bit further away and I walk in and they take my blood pressure and it's high yeah and they sit me down they put my feet up and they take it again and it's high and then I sit for 30 minutes and they do the non-stress test and the baby's fine and they do my blood pressure again and it's still elevated. So they um, got me into my Doppler study. The doctor comes in and it was just always so reassuring to see his face because I knew I was getting, you know, the right care with him. Mm -hmm. And basically he did the quick ultrasound and he looked at me and he said, okay, Amy, I'm going to send you to the hospital. And I was like, okay. And he said, your blood pressure is really high and that's concerning to me. And I just want to get you checked out. And I think at that moment, he knew what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Wanted me to get where I needed to be. And right. everything kind of take to- like take its place, right? So there was a new birthing center in Bethlehem right over by the office, which is basically a hospital for moms and babies. And I was like, okay, do you want me to go to that, the new birthing center? And he's like, no, I want you to go to, to Lehigh Valley Cedar Crest, which, you know, has a level uh, three NICU. And, you know, that's basically, he he knew where I needed to be. Yeah. Now he didn't tell you because it has the NICU. He just said, you need to go to Lehigh Valley. Yeah. Yeah. He knew if something would happen, that NICU might not be well equipped, you know, to right. the baby and, you know, all that stuff. So yeah. I got myself to Cedar Crest. I called Sean and I ended up being there for, this was a Friday for the full weekend and, you know, a lot of blood work and they ran on me what they call a 24 hour urine analysis where basically they're catching your pee 
and they're um, analyzing it, sending it to the lab and making sure that there's no protein in it, making sure that your body's not going into labor. And in conjunction with the blood work that they're taking, um, this is how they're determining what's going on with you, basically. So by Sunday, they they kind of said to me, look, everything looks okay. I think we're going to send you home tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, great. And Monday morning came, they did blood work and a doctor walks in and he actually is a close colleague of the doctor who was treating me. And they actually went and spent part of their medical um, schooling together. So I knew that they had been connecting about me and he walked in and he sat down and he was like, you know, Amy, um, I know that you've been asking, you know, when is this going to happen? And he said, the answer is tomorrow. You're going to have this baby by tomorrow. Um, and I was like, okay, like, can you explain? Because I was just told I was going home and he said, what's happening to your body now is you are in preeclampsia or you're preeclamptic and um, you have the onset of help syndrome. And basically your kidneys and your liver are going to go into failure. If we don't get this baby out of you, this placenta needs to come out. That's the only way to cure it and to save you and to save this baby. And at that point I was 32 weeks and six days. So, or seven days. I was right before the three. Right. Mark, right? Yeah. And um, that was just a lot to handle. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, they did the whole process. Um, I had had a second round again of steroid shots. They can do up to two rounds. So I had those that weekend. They were preparing me. They sent down the NICU nurse again. She spoke to me about what to expect with a 33-week delivery. Um, so I had some kind of preparation. Um, so basically what I knew was going to happen was she would be born. They would place her on my chest for one minute and keep the cord attached because studies show that that actually helps with, um, with breathing. Mm-hmm. You would clamp the cord and they would get her right into the incubator and take her to the NICU. Mm-hmm. And so they started preparing me that evening at 10 o'clock. And as they wheeled me into um, the next room where I would prepare to to labor, the number on the, on the room I'll never forget was 23. And um, what you may not know about me is 23 is like a big number in my life. I have it tattooed on my foot. Sean oh, wow. On him. I didn't know that. Yeah. And it's a number that's very important and significant in our relationship. And it kind of shows up every once in a while. And there was that number. Wow. And so we wheeled into that room. And I, thinking back, I just don't know how I held it together. But, you know, they got my um um oh my gosh what is it called I'm like blanking out epidural yeah epidural okay (laughs) epidural started for me before anything even progressed and of course they had to give me pitocin so they made me as comfortable as possible 
um, to start the contractions, right? And then they had to do a Foley balloon to get me dilated. All of these things, putting my body into labor mm-hmm. um, in a way that I hadn't experienced before, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, with Mason, my water broke naturally. This was actually causing me to go into labor. So I really didn't have time to think about it. But having had two babies where I did have an epidural, I did realize at one point that it wasn't taken mm. all over again. Ugh. Yeah. And so another thing that they needed to do for me was they had to um, hook me up to magnesium in a, a constant drip. And I had to be on that for 24 hours after delivery, right? From the time the labor started, because what they were trying to do was work against the um, preeclampsia and the help syndrome. Right. And, keep me from seizing or stroking. So yeah. there's a whole nother level of anxiety. Right. Yeah. So fast forward, labor was very easy. I was ready to push um, in a matter of hours. And the nurse who was by my side the entire time stayed past her shift to be with me, which meant so much to me. She held my hand. Yeah. She, you know, she, she became like my best friend in that moment, right? Mm-hmm. My coach, my best friend, everything. And I'll never, I'll never forget the kindness that she showed me. And so Jolie came out in one push. Mm-hmm. He actually, you know, had to tell me to like slow down because she was coming too quickly. Aww. And she came out and they put her across my chest and her little hand smacked my face. And in that moment, I didn't know what to expect. Right. I didn't know how big she was going to be. They had some estimations on her weight. And in that moment, I just knew like, okay, like I did it. Everything's going to be okay. They're going to make sure she's okay. And it was just like a huge sigh of relief. Right. Mm -hmm. She stayed with me for a minute and then she left and Sean went with her. What happened next, I wasn't prepared for. Um, I'll just say that. The magnesium is something that messes with your body so much. It basically put me in like a black hole. Um, Hmm. I couldn't open my eyes. I was very sensitive to sound. And my body was on fire. And they had to keep me on this until I had a 24 hour mark. Mm. So they cleaned me up, got me in a wheelchair and I wanted so badly to see my baby. So um, they wheeled me to the NICU and as they wheeled me over to where Jolie was uh, situated, I saw her nurse, but I couldn't focus on Jolie because the magnesium made my vision so blurry Mm. and I immediately felt ill and I just asked them to please take me back to my room. Mm. So they took me to my room. I got sick. Um, I vomited. I actually, they went to put me in the bed. So they stood me up and I blacked out a bunch of nurses and doctors ran in. It was just very traumatic. Um, And the next day is when I ended up going back to see Julie for the first time and holding her. Mm which was very short-lived because she was actually born, um, so three pounds. Oh, uh, baby. Inches, yeah. Oh. Inches. So if you imagine like a ruler, mm-hmm. which is 12 inches, she mm-hmm. was just a little bit bigger than that. And um, 
I had never really seen a baby that small before. And for a 33-weeker, so basically she had what they call um, in uterine growth restriction, Mm -hmm. which meant my placenta was not supporting her, um, which kind of correlates back to the tear and just the preterm contractions. It Mm -hmm. was just my placenta wasn't a good one. And so she was very small for a 33 week baby. She was more like a 30 or 31 week baby. Mm -hmm. The hardest part from this point on was going back to my hospital room without my baby. Mm -hmm. Having had two normal pregnancies prior to Jolie, I had realized, you know, what it was like to have your baby with you in your room. And I was empty handed. Mm -hmm. So people were constantly coming in and checking on me. I remember um, one of the L&D nurses came in and she was a lactation consultant. And she just kind of asked how I was doing. And she explained to me what I needed to do if I was planning on breastfeeding for Jolie. And that was to pump constantly. Right. That's a whole nother thing because I basically was making my body overproduce. And um, I ended up developing, um, once I left the hospital, mastitis, which is an infection. It's awful. Yeah. Wow. So she came in and I was explaining to her a little bit, you know, about Jolie and she said something to me that stayed with me. And she said to me, I know you wanted it to go a certain way, but sometimes you just have to take option B and plan B and you have to find joy in your journey. And she, um, she just, when she said that to me, she looked at me with such conviction and she was like, you're going to be okay. And so there are people who stood out to me during those um, next 28 days who really would, would send those words of wisdom my way or give me a hug when I needed it. And they really stuck with me. Mm-hmm. They really stuck with me. Um, and so the next 28 days, you know, it was just to kind of talk about it. Um, I'm going to miss something. I know it, but. I went home without my baby. Mm -hmm. I came back the next day as a visitor. Um, I didn't rest. I needed to be on blood pressure medication um, to make sure that my blood pressure was in a normal range because Mm -hmm. of preeclampsia. And I was also told that I would be at risk for hypertension, for chronic hypertension for the rest of my life. I had to go to appointments to check my blood pressure again without my baby. I had to come home and go into her nursery. I remember just walking into her nursery and sitting in the glider. And just picturing what it would be like to have her with me. So I made every attempt to be there. I I didn't miss a day. Mm -hmm. I actually developed... um, I think it was the second time. Um, so one week I developed mastitis from overproduction because she was too small to breastfeed. So they were tube feeding her and, you know, the pumping was just 
nonstop. I mean, I was not resting at all. I was pumping while I was there. I was pumping while I was at home. And in the NICU, you can't have food. You can't have water. I wasn't taking care of myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sean and I did not cook one meal that entire 28 days. Wow. We just lived off of hospital food. Um, So I really just was surviving. And there was one day where I went to the hospital and I had just gotten over mastitis and it hit me on the other side, on the other breast while I was there. And I had driven myself to the hospital and I ended up having to have Sean come get me. I mean, I was making every attempt to just be there and Mm -hmm. I felt like it was necessary. And so what I would say right now in this moment, now that I'm talking about that particular thing, to any mommies who might be going through this right now, mm-hmm. you know, in the future, if you, you do have a preemie, taking care of yourself is so, so important. Mm-hmm. When you leave your baby in that NICU, they are in the best care possible. And so don't feel like you have to be there every waking moment. Don't feel like you have to put your needs bes- like aside. Um, because like for me, it caught up to me really. Yeah. Yeah. So over those next 28 days, um, you know, as time progressed, progressed and she got, um, bigger and could start eating and, and staying outside of the incubator and maintaining her body heat and all that kind of stuff. It got easier. I saw the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and then eventually those 28 days were over. And um, we were able to take her home. And we took home a four-pound baby. Oh, yeah. I remember how tiny she was. Yeah. yeah. She was really small. So she just met the requirement for the car seat. And um, we brought her home. And, you know, I had a lot of difficulty with um, – not giving her her first bath. You know, I think one of the nurses gave her a sponge bath before I was there, not giving her her first bottle, Mm -hmm. not giving her her first diaper change. I had a lot of difficulty um, accepting that. But when we got home, it was insane to me to look back and realize, you know, when you're in the moment and you're in the NICU, it's a different world and you feel like you're never going to get out. And there are people who are there for much longer time periods than we were, Mm -hmm. but there is an end to it. And once you look back, it just seems so far away. Um, I would say um, we got home. It was, so Jolie was, Jolie was born um, November 7th which if you think back to my previous miscarriage, I miscarried or learned oh, about yeah. miscarriage on November 8th. Yeah. Yes, that's right. One day before that I lost that baby, which wow. to me was um, very symbolic. Yes. Very symbolic because not only during that time frame in October leading up to Julie's delivery, I was having a lot of flashbacks to the mm-hmm. year before. Yeah. And then the pregnancy was experiencing many difficulties and I was having a hard time distinguishing the two um, and not feeling like something was going to happen again. Um, So that was 
a little bit of the PTSD, I think, was starting to come through there. Mm-hmm. So I would say probably we got home. It was the holidays. Jolie was due the day after Christmas. So um, we, we celebrated the holidays, and I kind of was just running off of adrenaline. She was very small, and we had to wake her every three hours, no matter what, at night for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, to put it into perspective, she is going to be 11 months and she's only 14 pounds. Yeah. It's itty bitty. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the exhaustion just never ended. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I would say around April, um, I found myself like the adrenaline wore off and I found days where, I just could not get myself off of the couch. Yeah. Um, I couldn't keep up with my daily activities around the house. The cleaning wasn't getting done. And I'm somebody who, you know, I keep a very tidy home. Right. Yeah. And so it was a Saturday. And I think I actually heard part of my story in a story that you had shared, Erin, about taking yourself to urgent care. Yep. I woke up, it was a Saturday, I was feeling so off, I didn't know what was wrong with me, and I took myself to urgent care. Yeah. I thought, for sure, it has to be my blood pressure. Right. And I was off the, the blood pressure medication at that point, but I had similar feelings, um, feeling lightheaded, feeling disconnected, um, just not feeling like myself. And so I went to urgent care and the nurse took my um, blood pressure and it was a male nurse and he's like, your blood pressure is fine. And mm-hmm. I, and I was like, well then what's wrong with me? And he was like, that's why you're here. We're going to find out. So it was recommended to me by the doctor that I make an appointment with my primary, which I did not have a primary. <laughs> oh, no kidding. Yeah, I was newer to the area. Right, right. I had just been seeing, you know, an OB for all of my pregnancy related things. You know, at this yeah. point, um, since 2011, I had experienced five pregnancies. So wow. being at the OB was like my thing, right? Yeah. So I, um, I actually went to my OB for a, a referral. Like, can you recommend a primary? And she recommended hers, which Um, If anyone doesn't have a primary doctor, I would say, and I've heard this in the past, using your OB to ask for a recommendation is a great place to start to find it. Yeah. So I went to the primary and um, basically the floodgates opened and I was finally telling somebody how I was feeling. And she was like, we have an in-house therapist. Let me set up some time with her. This is definitely postpartum depression, but she will be able to tell you, you know, what we can do to help you. We can talk about medication and, and then her and I can work together. Right. I ended up seeing the therapist again, floodgates opened. I was a mess and I walked into that appointment knowing that for me, medication was not an option. Right. I was, I'm somebody who like, you know, I don't even take Advil if I have a headache. That's how, yeah, that's how I am. <laughs> yeah. So in speaking to her, I realized that she did say this is full, full-blown full postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. Um, Were you surprised to hear that? You know, I feel like 
somewhere deep down inside, I knew that's what I was dealing with. Right. But I didn't acknowledge it. Until yeah. Saw it in me and told me. Right. The doctor who had been treating me consistently at the end there, the high risk doctor, he said to me, make sure you take care of yourself because high risk pregnancies often um, have a high correlation or a high rate um, with postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. And even in the NICU, you know, they're calling to check up on you and make sure like, you know, they're, they're looking for all the red flags at Jolie's appointments, they have you fill out a form until you're uh -huh. yep. They look at you to be sure you're dressed with your makeup exactly. on and hair done. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I don't know if I was being honest with myself. Right. I also don't know if I could just, I, I just, maybe I couldn't see it for what it was until yeah. somebody saw it in me. And so I left that appointment. I had a few options. She had offered to me to do a two-week um, outpatient program where I would work with psychiatrists and they could help me get onto a medication if that's what I wanted and I could do group work. That wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. I was at the very end of my maternity leave and my time with Jolie was more important to me. Um, and so we worked out a plan for myself and that was um, – medication mm -hmm. and I ended up going on um, Zoloft which is one of the oldest medications around and um, what they consider to be safest for breastfeeding right right talk to my lactation consultant and also pediatrician and so I was basically started on a very very low dose mm -hmm. and after about four to six weeks I started feeling more like myself mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so you said that you went into that appointment, medication's not for me. Yes. And I think you and I, I think, I don't know. I mean, I just think it's such a, it's just important to have a very open conversation about it because I also go in with that idea, but I also was open that if I can't figure this out and find change, I will have to try medication. So at what point were you like, you went from, I'm not going to take medication to like, okay, I'm going to try the Zoloft. I think the mind shift with me was that in, in that conversation with her, by the end of it, I came to a realization that this was something that I had never experienced before. I am right. a very um, anxiety prone person, but I yeah. had never experienced a depressive episode. Right. And so what she explained to me was that the medication would treat both the anxiety and also the depression. Right. And I knew that I, this was bigger than me and I couldn't do it on my own. Yeah. Sorry, real life. Yes, we have real life here. <laughs> We're busy. We have emails and texts and dogs. So <laughs> it is what it is. Um, so that was kind of where I, I let go of the whole, I can do this on my own. Mm -hmm. And, um, I went into it knowing that this would be a temporary thing, right? So yeah. the plan for me was always to stay on it until I was done breastfeeding, yeah. mm -hmm. which I recently wrapped up doing that and then wean myself off. Um, and that's, that's kind of how I handled it. So yeah. once it started to kick in, I was much better. I was able to go back to work, um, you know, without having a transitional difficulty, um, 
So it was definitely the right decision for me. Yeah, absolutely. Time, yeah. I, you know, I just kind of, I'm making a note and I'm just going to say it now. I, I want to extend like a, a kudos to you because I think going through trauma truly like this, and as you're saying, and I think any of us who've experienced life, <laughs> anything in life, it's so hard to see and navigate while you're in it. You know, once you're out of it, hindsight's always twenty twenty, which we've talked about. But when you're in it, it's really hard to know what's happening and what you're going through. But through it, you really advocated for yourself the whole time. Like you, um, you were in tune and self-aware with your body to know that something wasn't feeling right from the pregnancies and the losses to the um, preeclampsia to the depression and. Um, setting boundaries with the doctors and the medical professionals that you felt comfortable with and knew could support you and saying, okay, like even though I went in saying I don't want to do medication, I know that this is the right decision for me. And I think there's, it takes, um, it just takes a, a lot of um, courage to really just advocate for yourself and to do that. So I think that's like such a huge message for anybody who's going through anything in life that, um, to just, you know, any decision you make isn't set in stone and that you can't worry about how your decisions will affect another person, like hurting a medical professional's feelings, or if someone's going to judge you for going to the doctor again, or, um, changing your mind to go on medication. Like you, you, you did those things cause you knew that they were the best thing for you. And I think that's so important. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And yeah. Yeah, being your, your, not only your child's advocate, but your own advocate. Yeah. Very, very, very important. Yeah. Um, and so just to kind of loop back to the beginning, Erin, when you were talking about my Instagram post, I knew I wanted to share this experience. Mm -hmm. but to your point, I couldn't do it while I was in it. Yes. I had to be out of it. Yes. And I, um, it's only recently that I have come out of this really, really dark place. Um, yeah. A place where I wasn't connecting with my friends. They mm -hmm. really had no idea what was going on with yep, me. Yeah, me too. Yep. And it, I, I've been on the, off of the medication now for about a month, and I've been more in tune with my emotions now, right? Mm -hmm. And so there was a moment last week where Jolie was sent home sick and I was having some, I wouldn't call it PTSD, but a little bit of flashbacks to oh, yeah. Yeah. you and just watching her fight for her life. And then knowing that she was sick because she is immune compromised. And I had this realization of, you know, I was hysterically crying. I just had this realization of, okay, now is the time I need to share this. Like I'm ready to share this right mm -hmm. now. So mm -hmm. I snapped a quick picture of me rocking her and I just got it all out. It was and amazing. Thank mm -hmm. you. Yeah. I got a lot of messages again about, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not ready to share my story, but you know, I've been through this. I had some private messages. Again, people just need to know that they're not alone. Yeah. So a few days later, I posted a quote and I'd love to read it right yes. now. Yes. Yeah. Um, that really resonated with me. And that is, um, by Morgan Harper Nichols. And it says, tell the story of the mountain you climbed. Your words could be a page in someone else's survival guide. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. It's so telling that um, we are all on our individual, on our own individual journeys. 
but we're not alone. Nope. We're more alike than we are different. Mm-hmm. And, um, again, I just want to put it out there. You know, if you are somebody who's listening to this and you've been through something like this and you are not ready to share it now, I would, I would encourage you to focus on when you feel like you are ready because it's such a healing thing to do. Oh, it really is. Oh, so. goals and we can all influence other people and we can all be that page in someone else's story. Yeah. That's so beautiful. I think that's such a perfect place to end to and to wrap things up. And I, um, something I think I want to point out to close this is that like we've talked about, uh, we all have different stories. Our journeys are different, but as we're saying, they're more alike than different. So while anyone listening maybe has never been through miscarriage or hasn't dealt with, um, having a preemie or going to the NICU and things like that. I think as women, it's just important to hear all of the stories and we won't get into this conversation, but even I think it's important as women um, to recognize if a friend is going through, like if they are disconnected, maybe something's going on, like maybe you should check in with them or just drop dinner off or something, you know, or to know that having a baby in the NICU you need support, which is a whole conversation too. But um, I, I, what I connected as the big overarching thing that I think we have to recognize as women, especially um, going through um, having children, is that something that you said is that you were not taking care of yourself and it caught up to you. And that your doctor also said you're dealing with PTSD. Yes. Those two things are my two things also. So I haven't had multiple miscarriages. I haven't had any preemie babies. I've never been diagnosed with um, postpartum depression. I think my anxiety is just that, (laughs) that I'm an anxious person. um, And it just really went crazy after having kids. So I suppose you can label it as postpartum. So, and I never went on medication. So like our stories, the like details, the minute details are different, but the stories are the same. And I think that's as women, that's we don't acknowledge enough how important it is to take care of ourselves, that we're always putting our children, our husbands, our jobs, our friends before us. And while that's important to have these people taken care of and to show them how much we love them, if we're not taking care of ourselves, it's like we're building our life on sand. Yeah. You know, like we're just going to, at some point, you're just going to crumble. Mm-hmm. And then the other piece of that is to understand that anything that goes a little bit wrong through a pregnancy or um, delivery or anything like that can cause PTSD. And I think when people hear the word trauma, they think it has to be something huge, like a life or death kind of huge. Yes. And while that's obviously causes postpartum um, or PTSD, I'm sorry, there's, it doesn't have to be something as big. It could just be it, it could be an ultrasound and they didn't find the heartbeat right away and then they found it. Just that experience could cause PTSD so you're terrified with every ultrasound you have after that, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think it's just important to acknowledge that um, it's okay that these things are happening to us and that we're not superheroes and we're breaking a little bit when mm-hmm. we're yeah. going. Our bodies go through a lot to have babies and our emotions and mental state go through so much. So it's just so important to take care of ourselves and um, acknowledge. And then one more piece I think is so super important that I heard you say is that um, you 
what prompted you to go to the doctor and ultimately be diagnosed with postpartum depression was physical symptoms. What prompted me to go to the doctor and find out that I was dealing with panic attacks was physical symptoms. So I think that's so important to recognize and um, share to our listeners that if you're feeling physically off, yes, there could be something physically wrong. And I think it's important to um, rule any physical symptoms out like high blood pressure, heart issues, whatever. Um, But that's often, often going to be your sign that there's something deeper going on that is typically considered emotional. Absolutely. You know, there was one thing I left out, Erin, and this kind of compounded the physical symptoms as well as, you know, just my emotional state in general. But when I was in that feeling of helplessness, Mm -hmm. I was also experiencing a little bit of um, postpartum OCD. Yes, I had that. I would also, um, anytime Sean left the house, I would fixate on, like, I would feel like something terrible was going to happen to him and that he wasn't going to come home. Mm -hmm. It's really irrational Mm -hmm. thoughts. And that was another key indicator to me that I couldn't train my mind not to think that way. Right. And and going back to the physical implications, your hormones are in a storm. They are. And it's okay, (laughs) you know, crazy, wacky stuff in there to you. And, um, I think that's when it all came to a head for me and I realized I can't calm my storm down on my own. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, um, we are in this society that, especially now, I feel like that women are, um, really put on a pedestal when they can quote unquote do it all. You know, and I think that's creating um, a lot of conflict for us and shame because if we feel like we can't do it all, we're afraid to say it and we're afraid to say, I need help. And it's, um, I mean, it's a facade. No one can do it all. Nobody, you know, and, uh, you know, I just, I want to encourage everybody listening that whether um, you're a mom or not, or no matter what your story is, whatever the details are of your story and your pages, that um, to take away that it's okay to ask for help. And if something doesn't feel right, go get help, whether it's going to a doctor or going to a therapist or um, a friend or a significant other, whatever it is, uh, that it's okay to ask for help because you have to go through it to get to the other side, you know? Yes. It's so true. Amy, thank you so much for being with me today and sharing your story. I just feel like it's so powerful and I know it's really hard and vulnerable. Um, and I just know that it's going to touch so many women. And, um, I want to, if you're comfortable, you can share any ways for ladies to get in touch with you. I know, um, I'll also have it in the show notes for women too, uh, so they can click, but Erin, um, I just wanted to say thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. On, on your platform. And um, so, yeah, if you want to get in touch with me, um, probably the easiest way is my Instagram handle. So that is my last name, Hart, H-A-R-T underscore two, T-O underscore hearts, H-E-A-R-T-S. So heart to hearts. And um, my website is hearttoharts.com. And if you happen to make your way on there, I do have a lot of blog posts leading up to um, 
Jolie's birth. And then you can kind of find the whole story, the complete story on Instagram and feel mm-hmm. free, you know, to private message me or reach out to me if, if you want to connect and talk about anything. Yeah. I love that. Thank you for being that person. Um, you know, and as I say, we're all holding hands and we're just an extension of each other. So we're all here. So, yeah. Thanks, so much. thanks again, Amy. Thanks, Aaron. All right. Yeah. Amy, thank you again so much for such a beautiful conversation. For those of you who listened to the full episode, I really appreciate you hanging in and taking such an awesome time to listen to all that we had to talk about. Again, I feel like so much of it is so important and it's a conversation that I know so many say we need to have more of. And like she and I discussed, I don't know that many of us even know that we need to have the conversation or that we even know what to say. And also, like we talked about, we feel like it is our space and place to have the conversation and tell the story while, um, and for those who are not ready yet. So Amy, thank you again. Um, you're just an incredible woman who is so strong and, uh, you have such a bright light and good heart and I, you have so much to share with so many and your story will absolutely change if not one, one woman, so many, I know that, um, someone will hear this and really cling to your words and, uh, it will ultimately save them, you know? So thank you again. Uh, I will be sure to link all of Amy's, um, contact info that we discuss in the show notes. You can just take a quick link over and, uh, I think that is all. So I hope that everybody has a beautiful week this week. Enjoy the fall activities and October air and uh, be sure to treat others the way that you want to be treated. And I will talk to you all soon. Take care.